This is now the fourth Sunday of Advent, and um, so I've asked Blake and Emily Walgamuth to please come up here. Um, and what they're going to do is they're going to be reading a text, and then they're going to light actually four of the candles. The center, the center candle is the Christ candle, which will be lit on Christmas Day, a week from today. And why are we doing this? Well, I will, I will explain that in the message, okay? But for right now, Blake and Emily, why don't you come up? Whoever's going to read can use this mic. And whoever's going to light can uh, light the candles. Isaiah 9, 1 and 2. Nevertheless, there will be no more gloom for those who were in distress. In the past, he humbled the land of Zebulun and the land of Naphtali. But in the future, he will honor Galilee of the Gentiles by way of the sea along the Jordan. The people walking in darkness have seen a great light. On those living in the land of the shadow of death, a light has dawned. Matthew four twelve through 17 When Jesus heard that John had been put in prison, he returned to Galilee. Leaving Nazareth, he went and lived in Capernaum, which was by the lake in the area of Zebulun and Naphtali, to fulfill what was said through the prophet Isaiah. Land of Zebulun and land of Naphtali, the way to the sea along the Jordan, Galilee of the Gentiles. The people living in darkness have seen a great light. On those living in the land of the shadow of death, a light has dawned. From that time on, Jesus began to preach, repent, for the kingdom of heaven is near. Amen. Amen. Thank you, Blake. Thank you, Emily. Can we thank them? Well, let me ask you a question. What is Christmas known for? What's the main thing? Well, you're you're saying, duh. Come on, Al, this is church, okay? You can ask, like, somebody on the street about this. Jesus. And I agree with you. And actually, the person on the street's going to give it up for Jesus. All right? They're, they're going to say, yeah, it's about Jesus, the Christ child. But what else is Christmas about? Well, you're probably going to say gifts. Absolutely. In fact, you'll say that most people make it more about the gifts than about Jesus. And you'll say that I wish people would know that the greatest gift of all is Christ. And, and I would be in agreement with you. But there's one more thing that Christmas is about. And it's this third thing that I really want to focus in on. I mean, what's Christmas about? What's the third thing? Okay, we're playing like Family Feud here, right? Okay, what is Christmas about? And survey says, what's the third thing? About Jesus, about gifts. What's one thing in my, what, what's, what's Christmas about? Okay? Something physical. Don't get too spiritual on me. Lights. Did someone say lights? I'll take that answer. Thank you. Christmas is about lights, isn't it? I mean, I don't know about you, but in my neighborhood, you drive through my neighborhood, man, and it is like daytime at night. I have this one neighbor, if you come down West Oakmont, coming off of 186th Street, I mean, this guy... Every square inch of his yard is taken up with lights and displays. It's awesome. And every year he adds something else. And I love it. It looks great. You see, why are lights such a big deal for Christmas? Jesus is the light of the world. I mean, historically, that's the reason. Now, I understand my neighbor, and I know the guy, probably isn't thinking that when he's putting the lights up. I get you. But he's borrowing the capital of what it's really all about. Why lights? Why Christmas tree lights? Why lights on our houses? Why is it so bright and beautiful? Christmas. Because Jesus is the light of the world. Why are we doing this? Is this just something cute to do? No. 
No, this, this is representing the fact that Jesus is the light of the world, that for centuries there was no light, very little light. The light was there, but it was sort of hidden. And then you, you light the first candle, and it's getting closer. And, and, and Isaiah is prophesying what exactly I'm going to be preaching this morning, Isaiah 9. And then you light the second candle, and we're moving down the quarters of time. And, and Malachi is, 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 is talking about the, this, the Savior coming and, and talking about John paving the way. And then you light the third candle, and now the angel is telling Zechariah, the, the father of John, listen, this guy is going to announce the, the coming of Messiah when God will restore the hearts of the fathers back to the children and the hearts of the children back to their fathers. And we light this, this fourth candle and this fourth candle because, what, a week from today we celebrate the birth of Christ. It's getting really close. My daughter just had a child two weeks ago. And I remember she was late. She wasn't late, according to God, but according to the doctor, she was late. And I can remember every day, I'd go to bed at night. I'd put my phone right by my nightstand, make sure the ringers turned up really, really loud. And a couple of times, some knuckleheads called me at like 1130. Oh, it's just you. One night, I had this big glass of water right there. Oh, buddy. I went, you know, don't call me. But, but Jesus, but, uh, Jesus, <laughs> Vanessa was, was having labor pains. And is, are, are these, yeah, Jesus wasn't, Vanessa was. <laughs> Vanessa was having labor pains. <laughs> and, and I would think, is it tonight? Oh, I don't know, Dad. I never, I never forget, two weeks ago this morning, 8.30, she texted, right? Okay, Dad, this is it. <laughs> okay, so, so Mary, right now, it's a week away. She's very pregnant. I'm sure she's having labor pains. I'm wondering if she might have been, you know, whatever, however they determined. But it's close, it's close, it's close. And next week, we will light that white candle in the center. That's the Christ candle. Why do we do it? Because Jesus is the light of the world. The scripture tells us that, John 8, 12. I'm not going to preach on that, but it's very clear. The gospel of John. In fact, if you want to do a study on Jesus as the light of the world, look up the word light in a concordance, which is that thing in the back of your Bible that has all the words and tells you what scriptures they're in. And you'll see a ton of them in John. Because John borrowed a lot from the Old Testament. He's going to refer to that. But John 8, 12. Jesus is the light of the world. Okay, but here's my question for you. What does that mean? See, my neighbor who puts up the lights is probably clueless about what that means, what it really means. And I think at times we're not clueless, but we can forget. We can forget. Why do we forget? Because I'm trying to get those gifts. I got a week left. Listen, man, I got the triple header in December. I have Christmas on the 25th, my Lord and Savior's birthday. I have my wife's birthday on the 21st, and I have my son's birthday on the 20th, and I'm a horrible gift giver, terrible. So in the midst of thinking about all that, and I should be, and planning birthday parties and throwing emails around and trying to coordinate this, I can forget that Jesus is the light of the world. What does that mean? That's the first point of the message. So what I'm going to dive into for a moment before we get to Isaiah 9, 1 and 2 and Matthew 4, 12 to 17. Isaiah 9, 1 and 2 is the promise made by God. Matthew 4, 12 through 17 is the promise kept by God. Remember, the overall picture is God keeps his promises. That's his Advent uh, series. But before we dive into that, I'm going to take you on a short uh, jaunt through the Bible. 
to give you a brief theology of light from the Bible. And in doing that, we're going to contrast it with darkness. Because you cannot have a theology of light in the Bible without talking about darkness. It is always there. It's always contrasted. Light and darkness. Okay? Okay, so let's look at the storyline of the Bible. And it's not hard to find light. You do not have to go far in the book to find light. As a matter of fact, once you turn to the first chapter of the book, it's called Genesis, chapter 1. And let's just go ahead and start reading, and we're going to bump into light very quickly. Very, very quickly. All right, here we go. Genesis 1.1. What's the storyline of the Bible? What is the role that, that light plays? What does it mean that Jesus is the light of the world? Why that? Why light? All right, to answer that question, we've got to take a look at light in the Bible. Genesis 1, verse 1. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. The earth was without form and void, catch this, and darkness was over the face of the deep. So earth is created. You've got the heavens, you have the earth. The Spirit of God was hovering over the face of the water, so there's water. And look at verse 3. And God said, let there be light. I wish I could, be, I could have been there. Maybe we'll see it when we get to heaven. I don't know. This might be one of the wonders that just, just amaze us for all eternity. And there was light. I mean, it's like, it's like there was darkness and my neighbor's yard, it was dark. And he went in and someone said, let there be light. And he clicked the, the, the enforced breaker in his electrical system so he wouldn't blow his house up. And boom! You need sunglasses when you're looking at it. And imagine that times a gazillion. God said, flip the switch. Bam, there was light. And God saw the light. And God saw that the light was good. Don't run by that. Do not run by that. God saw that the light was good. And God separated the light from the darkness. See the contrast? God separated the light from the darkness. God called the light day. And the darkness he called night. And there was evening and there was morning the first day. The first words recorded in scripture. God's first words recorded in scripture are what? Let there be light. Now we're starting to see a little bit why Jesus is the light of the world. Now, let's go to the last, second to the last chapter of the book. Please, let's go to the second to the last chapter of the book. That would be Revelation chapter 21. Revelation chapter 21. Let let us see. Let us see this storyline of the Bible. What role does light play? What's happening here? Why? What does it mean that Jesus is the light of the world? Look at Revelation 21 and let's drop into verse 23. So this is now a vision that God has given John, the same one who wrote the Gospel of John by the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, the same one whom God spoke to about Jesus being the light of the world, and he said it in John 8, 12. Jesus said himself, he said, I am the light of the world. So this same John who is really preoccupied with this, with this picture of Jesus being light. In fact, John, if you read John 1, 1 through whatever verses, you will see that John sort of compares the creation account in Genesis, with Christ coming. So he, John does a great job of comparing the physical light that God brought in Genesis and the spiritual light that God brings in Christ. 
He, he does a great job of comparing the creation in Genesis and recreation in Christ. You got that? That's a good study. But now let's drop into Revelation 21, also written by John. Revelation is a prophecy. It's a vision. John is being given this vision as an old man. And look, look what he says as he's describing the new heavens and the new earth. This is at the end of time. History is over. Jesus has come back. This is the end of the book. We read the beginning of the book. This is the end of the book. John, excuse me, Revelation 21, 23. And the city has no need of sun or moon to shine on it. For the glory of God gives it light, and its lamp is the Lamb. Jesus is the light of the world. By its light will the nations walk, and the nations are the ethnos, the, the, to a Jewish mind, the non-Jew. But you see, God has always had the nations in his heart. He told Abraham, I'm going to bless the nations through you. So the nations, that's us, man, will walk By its light, by its light will the nations walk, verse 24. And the kings of the earth will bring their glory into it. And its gates will never be shut. There's no crime. You don't have to shut your gates. No locks. No locks. And there will be no night there. What? That's right. There'll be no night. They will bring into it the glory and honor of the nations, but nothing unclean will enter it, nor anyone who does what is detestable or false, but only those who are written in the Lamb's book of life. Oh, friends, the beginning of the book, it speaks of light. God's first words are, let there be light. And the end of the book speaks of light, eternal light. He begins the book with a physical light that is going to end. You know, some people say that the sun's going to explode, implode, whatever it's going to do. I remember when I graduated from the University of Florida in 1974, there was already one of those pessimistic, you know, naysaying, Birkenstock-wearing kind of guys who said... All the resources in this world are going to be expired in 20 years. You guys have no chance. You know, the earth, the earth is going to die. Yeah, that was 1974. Okay? So what? 37 years ago. I just went to college 37 years ago? How is that possible? Uh, so, so, but the sun will die one day. But this light in Revelation isn't the physical sun of creation. It is the sun of God, the recreation. He's our sun. He's our light. No more need for sun. No more need for moon. I I just want to plant this in your mind. We are talking about the first advent of Christ. Advent wreath. Advent means coming. But oh, friends, biblically, as well as historically, if you read uh, the church fathers, if you read the great leaders of the church, Advent was always the time to talk about not just Christ's first coming, but his second. And oftentimes they talk more about his second coming than his first coming. This isn't like a little history thing we do. Like, oh, we're like Americans and we're Christians, so we're going to celebrate Jesus, like the the Advent calendar. It's not a, a historical dead event we celebrate. No, no, it's a living event because he came the first time, he's coming the second time. And that is our hope. You know, God is faithful. He keeps his promises. How do I know Jesus is coming back? Because he came the first time. He kept that promise, so I know he's going to keep this promise. I'm looking back so I can look forward. I'm remembering the faithfulness so I can be, have hope in what's to come. Because this light never goes out. 
This light never gets tired. There is no night. I'm not sure what all that means, but it's going to be great. It's going to be great. It's going to be great. So do you see this theology of light? And obviously I was joking about two hours in length because it's not two hours in length, because it's 40 minutes in length. I cannot do it justice. I cannot give you a class on light. Maybe someday we will when we start our, our, our sort of our classes on Sunday morning, maybe in the year to come, when we do sort of a Sunday school type theological training in the mornings. Maybe we'll do a whole class on light, the theology of light. I love doing that. I love teaching biblical theology. I love going through the Bible and going through history and seeing what God is doing and realizing the world doesn't revolve around me in the 21st century. And it, it, I'm such, we're such little grasshoppers. But God has been doing things from the beginning in creation, in recreation, and when he comes back again. See, the qualities of light, what, what does light bring? It brings life. Literally, photosynthesis. You cannot have life without light. Things die in the dark. Not to mention they go bump in the dark. Eh? They scare us. That's a joke. Um, so the, the, the qualities of physical light are life. We live by it. We can see. It brings sight. Darkness brings death and blindness. I, as you know, I, I, I wake up at a really weird hour every morning. There are times I wake up at 3 in the morning. I just can't go back to sleep. Um, so I just get up. And if I have my phone on the nightstand, I, I kind of use it as a light, but I don't want to wake Desi up. And, and it's just like, you know, when I get up, I just kind of like, I'm groping, you know. And I forgot that we have this little playpen now in our room for our grandkids to sleep in. Man, I just whack that thing. <laughs> Drop the phone, you know. I fall to the floor screaming. Uh, but, but darkness is not a pleasurable thing. In fact, there's a scripture that says that Israel was groping in the dark, hands just sliding along the wall slowly, and then God brings light. Darkness is always a picture of judgment. I mean, whenever God judges demons, angels that have fallen, he puts them in gloom and darkness. Darkness is, is, um, is death. Uh, I, I was even reading uh, about how they torture people. And one of the ways is to deprive them of sleep, but also one of the ways is by keeping them in the dark. It's, ex- it's extremely disorienting, extremely disorienting. And it causes, literally, for a healthy, strong individual, let's say some guy that's been trained to endure torture, you know, uh, someone who's just really a, a tough person mentally, it, it could throw them into unnerving anxiety, intense fear and paranoia. I mean, darkness is a bad thing, guys. It's not a good thing. If you like the dark, we need to talk a little bit, you know. Uh, he's the prince of darkness, you know, not the prince of light. Um, so, I, and I even remember from my army days, uh, sorry, I got to put in an army illustration or football or both. Uh, from my army days, I remember the tactics we used to study that the best time to attack an, an enemy is right before dawn. Physically, they've done studies. That's when the human body is the weakest. Your mind starts playing games with you. It's been dark now for hours and hours. You're, you're hoping for the light to come. It's not there. Men, men are, are more given to just give up or, or flee in panic at that moment. So one of the best times to attack would be right before the dawn breaks. Because darkness is a curse. And it was a curse in Isaiah. So turn now in Isaiah 9.1. Now we're going to hit the scripture 
that was advertised. So Isaiah 9.1. And then you can also put your finger in Matthew 4. Actually, the two texts that Emily and uh, Blake read, or Blake was lighting the candle, those are the, the two texts that we're going to be preaching this morning. Isaiah 9.1. But there will be no gloom for her who was in anguish in the former time. I'm still under, by the way, what does this mean? Jesus is the light of the world. For there will be no gloom for her who was in anguish, for in the, in the former time he brought into contempt the land of Zebulun and the land of Naphtali. But in the later time he has made glorious the way of the sea, the land beyond the Jordan and Galilee of the nations. So let me describe to you what that land is. The land of Naphtali and, and, and Zebulun is the land that would be west and north and south of the Sea of Galilee. So it's northern Israel. If you've got Israel here, southern Israel is where Jerusalem is. Okay, if you, go, if you walk up the Sea of Galilee, it's a huge uh, geographic figure that dominates that area. And then the land of Zebulun and Naphtali is right around here. And he says, between the sea, that's the Mediterranean Sea. Okay, so this area here, it's called northern Israel. And that's the area that he was talking about. And this area... Uh, Isaiah is probably writing this in around 700 B.C. In about 722 B.C., that land was totally destroyed by the Assyrians. So if you have Israel here, you've got Syria, you know, modern-day Iraq, where we're fighting over here, Egypt's over here, Jordan is over here. Whenever people from the north, the Assyrians, the Babylonians, when they wanted to come and make, uh, lay siege to, uh, to Jerusalem, because that's the capital and that's where the temple is, what they would do is they would come through the north, they would... They would pillage and burn and rape and and devastate the land. They would lay siege to Jerusalem. They'd fail. They'd be really mad. And they would do the same thing going back. So this this area was called the land of gloom. Okay? The the land of contempt. Verse 2, the people who walked in darkness. The people who lived... You didn't want to live in this neighborhood. This was a bad neighborhood. All right? So that's what he's talking about here. It's a bad area. Not to mention, if you just jump up to Isaiah 8.22, I believe, did, did Jerry talk about Ahaz? Yeah, okay. Jerry talked about Ahaz. I don't know how much he talked about Ahaz, but he was king. And actually this King Ahaz was not really trusting God. Uh, he was not believing God. And there there was just darkness in the land. Look at verse 22. And they will look to the earth, but behold, distress and darkness, the gloom of anguish, and they will be thrust into thick darkness. So this is a dark time. Israel is in a, the people of God are in a dark time. The lights are out. They're stumbling through the house. They're scared. They're disoriented. Their leaders are not leading well. And it's into that world that God makes the promise. Look at verse 2. The people who walked in darkness, Isaiah 9, 2, have seen a great light. You know what that's called? That's called the prophetic past. He's writing as if it already happened, but it's a prophecy of something to come. Did you get that? Try it again. He's writing present tense, but today, but he's writing it as if it happened in the past tense, though he's prophesying of a future event. It's called the prophetic past. Okay. It's so certain that he's writing as if it already happened. So the people who walked in darkness have seen a great light. Those who dwelt in a land of deep darkness, on them the light shined. Past tense. It's, it hasn't happened yet, but he's at, writing as if it did. So God makes a promise. The context of the promise is darkness, is gloom. 
What does that sound like? The earth was void and dark and formless. And God said, let there be light. And the people of God were dark and formless and void. And God said, I'm going to bring light to you. And today in your life, you may be in a place where it seems dark and formless and void and not and barren and disorderly. Your children, you, your work, your marriage, other people. I love what David said. You're about to go to Noche Buena and you're not looking forward to it. There's a lot of darkness and void and formlessness there. And God said, I can bring light into that. You see the contrast? It's all over the place in the Bible. I'm I'm dropping into one aspect of it because we don't have time to study it for the whole Bible. But see it. See it. Into a place that has been beaten down and trodden. Northern Israel. Zebulun, Naphtali, Galilee. What I also like about this, when he says, Galilee of the Gentiles. Excuse me, nations. Look at the end of verse 1. Galilee of the nations. Many commentators ask this question. Yes, it's Galilee of the nations because the nations conquered Israel and they never returned. Those ten tribes were dispersed forever. But could it be that God is saying, hey Israel, it's not just for you, it's for the nations. I'm going to bring the light to Galilee of the nations. That's us, guys. That's us. That's us. God made a promise. And then God in Matthew 4, 12 to 17, and please turn there now, God kept his promise. God kept his promise. It took 700 years. So God is patient. But God kept the promise. Let's look at God, who is a promise-keeping God. God keeps his promises. Look at Matthew 4, 12 to 17. It says the following. But... Now, when he heard that John had been arrested, Jesus, that's he, he withdrew into where? Don't miss that. Prophets didn't go to Galilee to launch their ministry. That would be like having a premiere, you know, of of your movie, uh, you know, your cool, hip movie in like, you know, Clewiston, Florida, you know, or Okeechobee, Florida, or... Yeah, Lake Okeechobee, you know, Ray, where are you? Some of those places where you go and race, right? You know, some of those places where there's like 15 people, but they got a huge racetrack. (laughs) Maybe 16 people. No, no, you launch the movie on South Beach where all the beautiful people are. You launch the movie in the big city. Jesus goes on purpose. Don't miss that. Read your Bibles carefully. Why? You should be asking, why did he go to Galilee? What's it about Galilee? Galilee was a forsaken place. It's the place where losers lived, where they got beat up by enemies coming in, and then they got beat up by enemies coming out. They were the kid walking around with the kick me sign on the back of his shirt. They were a joke. No one goes to Galilee. That's where God went. Because God, God's humble, and because God loves us, and he chooses those of us who are losers. He only comes for losers. Jesus said, I didn't come for the ones who were well that got it all together. I came for the sick. And I'm going to Galilee of the nations. Oh, there's so much. You could preach a whole sermon right there, but I won't. Verse 13. And leaving Nazareth, right, down by down in the south, he went and lived in Capernaum. 
I got that wrong. Nazareth is in the north, sorry. And he went and lived in Capernaum, which is also in the north, right by the Sea of Galilee. This is going to become his headquarters. Now notice, by the sea, Capernaum, by the sea, in the territory of Zebulun and Naphtali. I mean, Matthew knows exactly what he's writing here. He's thinking Isaiah 9. So that what was spoken by the prophet Isaiah might be fulfilled. Now he's quoting Isaiah 9, 1 and 2. The land of Zebulun and the land of Naphtali, the way of the sea beyond the Jordan, Galilee of the Gentiles, the people dwelling in darkness have seen a great light. And it's Jesus. And for those dwelling in the region and shadow of death, on them a light has dawned. Isn't that beautiful? One of the aspects of light that is so great is the dawn. I love the dawn. The dawn brings life. The dawn brings energy. The dawn brings hope. You know, the phrase is, there's the light at the end of the tunnel, not the darkness at the end of the tunnel. Light upon the people that are oppressed and broken. And that's what we celebrate today, the first advent. That's why there's light here. What does it mean? Jesus is the light of the world. He fulfills God's promise. That's what it means means that God is bringing the gospel to the nations, Galilee of the nations. Oh, friends, it means that God keeps his promises. That's what it means. Now, the second point. Why does it matter? First point. What does that mean? What does it mean that Jesus is the light of the world? Now, here's the second point. Why does it matter? Why does it matter? Well, let me tell you why it matters. Because it matters to God. It matters to God. Turn with me briefly to 1 John 1, 5 through 6. 1 John 1, 5 through 6. Why does it matter? 1 John 1, 5 through 6, please. Because it matters to God. It matters to God. 1 John 1, 5 and 6 says the following. This is the message that we heard from him and proclaimed to you, that God is light. Did you get that? That God is light. And even further, and in him there is no darkness at all. If we say we have fellowship with him while we walk in darkness, we lie and do not practice the truth. Here's the deal. The storyline of the Bible is defined by light. And the storyline, and this contrast between light and darkness, and the storyline of your life is defined by the resolution of that contrast and that conflict between light and darkness. The storyline of your life is defined by the resolution of that contrast of that conflict between light and doctrine. Just as the storyline of the Bible is about light and darkness. And Jesus is the light. And he defeats the prince of darkness and the works of darkness and the rebellion against God. Why does it matter? Because it matters to God. We're talking a theology of salvation here. We're moving from a theology of light to a theology of salvation. Listen, God is light, in Him there is no darkness. Here's the bad news. In in us, there's a lot of darkness. You got it? God is light, in Him there is no darkness. He doesn't countenance darkness. Jesus came the first time as Savior. He's coming the second time as Judge. He's going to judge darkness. We just read it. He's going to kill it. He's going to abolish it. No more darkness. He's going to put all His enemies into darkness and gloom and chains. He's coming as the Judge. God will not countenance darkness. Not one spot, not one iota, nothing. And we have darkness. 
That's the storyline. The very first brothers, Cain and Abel, Cain murdered his brother. The storyline of the Bible is of darkness and sin and degradation and and fighting and wars and and lust and, and immorality and greed and power struggles. But in the midst of that story, there is this promise of light. It just slowly makes its way through the pages of Scripture. We've chosen to highlight Isaiah 9, 1 and 2. I could have started with Exodus, but I didn't for the sake of time. And then, and, then it, and then it breaks forward as we do this Advent calendar. It's, we find out this light isn't, some, isn't an it, it's a person. It's a person. It's Jesus. And, 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 and Jesus is God. In Him there is no darkness. He's the perfect light. And we need that. So why does it matter? Because it matters to God. And it better matter to you. Because you will face God one day. And your darkness will not be cool then. It may be cool now. It's not cool then. And your quirkiness and you know, your whatever you have that you bring to the table and I bring to the table, that, that's, that's not going to play in heaven. Darkness will not play in heaven. Everybody with the prince of darkness goes to one place. Gloom, darkness, fire, judgment. Because God will not have darkness. There's no darkness in him. Don't turn there, but just listen to a few of these scriptures. Why does it matter? Because this is what happens to people that are in darkness. Don't turn it, just listen. Matthew twenty-two thirteen. I'll just say it slowly. Matthew twenty-two thirteen. Then the king said to the attendants, bind him hand and foot and cast him into the outer, what? Darkness, not the outer light. The outer darkness. And that place where, check this out, where there's weeping and gnashing of teeth. Why does it matter? Because that place really does exist. John 3.19, and this is the judgment. The light has come into the world, Jesus. And people love the darkness rather than the light because their works were evil. See, darkness is reserved for the rebellious, both humans and angels. That was John 3.19 I just read about people loving darkness because their works were evil. Why does it matter? Because God is holy and God is good and there's no darkness in Him, but there's darkness in us. Matthew 8.12, another sort of why does it matter? Because this is what happens to people who rebel against God. Matthew 8, 12. While the sons of the kingdom will be thrown into the outer darkness. Now those are, those are Jews who refuse to believe in Jesus. Let me just interpret sons of the kingdom for you. You can go study it yourself. But Matthew eight twelve. While the sons of the kingdom will be thrown into outer what? Darkness. And then once again, hey, there's favorite phrase here. In that place there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Man, Last week, I had a pain in my shoulder and neck that was unbelievable. I thought I was having either a stroke or a heart attack or both, okay? And, I mean, it's it's the first time in my life that I ever cried with pain. I'm not saying I'm a tough guy, but it's the first time I ever cried. Ladies, you're going, yeah, try having a baby. But, you know, I was was wailing. I I was gnashing my teeth. I was weeping. I can't imagine an eternity of that. I cannot imagine an eternity of that. Why does it matter? Because God is serious about sin and darkness and wickedness. Listen to this. Listen to what he's doing to the angels. I preached the message on angels a couple of weeks ago. The angels' view of Christmas. Remember, two-thirds obeyed God, one-third disobeyed. Listen to what happens to the one-third that disobeyed. This is 2 Peter 2, verse 4 and verse 17. 2 Peter 2. Verse 4 and verse 17. For if God did not spare angels when they sinned. See, angels can't be saved. Once they sin, that's it. 
For if God did not spare angels when they sinned, but cast them into hell, now check this out, and committed them to chains of gloomy darkness. Not just darkness, but gloomy darkness. (laughs) To be kept until judgment. And then Jude, there's only one chapter in Jude, so chapter 1. Jude, Jude 1, verses 6, and then jumping to verse 13. Jude 1, 6. And the angels who did not stay within their own position of authority, but left their proper dwelling, he has kept in eternal chains, here we go, under gloomy darkness, until the judgment of the great day. Why does it matter? Because there is gloomy darkness, there is judgment. Jesus is coming back to judge darkness, and all who love darkness, because they hate the light, because of their evil deeds. That's us! Apart from Christ's grace, that's me, that's you. We need the light, dear friends. So Jesus came as the light of the world, dear friends. He lived as the light of the world. He lived the perfect life. His light never went out. There was no gloom. There was no darkness. His batteries never ran out. His light worked all the time. And yet, and yet, the light of the world was born to become darkness for us. Now this one I do want you to turn to. Go to Matthew 27. Matthew 27. I want you to remember with me what happened on the cross. What happened from noon to three in the afternoon. What happened when Jesus, the light of the world, had that light snuffed out in the sense that he became sin. He became darkness. The one man, the one person who never sinned, who always walked in the light, never lied, never did something selfishly, always, always obeyed. Look what happened. He's hanging on the cross from the sixth hour. That's noon. There was darkness. I'm in Matthew 27, verse 45. Matthew 27, verse 45. Now from the sixth hour, there was darkness over all the land until the ninth hour. And about the ninth hour, Jesus cried out with a loud voice saying, Eli, Eli, lema sabachthani. That means, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Darkness came. Look at the contrast between light and darkness. The light of the world becomes dark. The world is darkened. I don't know how dark it was. I imagine it freaked everybody out from noon to three in the Middle East. Darkness. Why? Because the light of the world is taking the judgment for you and me. He's going through the gloomy darkness. He's being judged. Darkness. And it's such a cataclysmic, cosmic event that the very cosmos, the very heavens are darkened. But, oh, friends, look at the contrast. This is the contrast that's going to define your life and mine. This is the contrast between light and darkness. Turn now to Matthew 28. Look at Matthew 28, verse 1. Three days later, Matthew 28, verse 1. Let's see who wins. Let's see what happens. Let's see if you can actually put out the light of the light of the world. Matthew 28, verse 1. Now, after the Sabbath, toward the dawn of the first day. Don't you love that? That God did that on purpose. Toward the dawn of the first day of the week. Mary Magdalene and the other Mary, Matthew 28, 1 is where I'm at. Mary Magdalene and the other Mary went to see the tomb. And behold, there was a great earthquake. For an angel of the Lord descended from heaven, came and rolled back the stone and sat on it. Do not ever tell me that some effeminate angel playing a harp did that. Stop it. Kill those angels. Get yourself a biblical angel. And if you can't find one, start a company and make one. Verse 2, and he sat on the stone. I love it, man. He rolls it away. Earthquake, he rolls the stone away. These stones were massive. They're probably on, on, on like a pulley system. I mean, huge, huge, massive. This guy was built P90X. Forget about it. He was like the man. Verse 3, and his appearance, look at his appearance, was like what? 
lightning. What does lightning look like? <laughs> I don't know. But it's like, so it's like, you're standing right there. Light, and his clothing was white as snow. Okay, I'll give you the white thing, all right? But ain't no way it's a robe, and there's no harps in his hands. And his clothing was white as snow. And for fear of him, listen, the guards, the airborne rangers, SEAL team guards, trembled and became like dead men. They were just like... (laughs) No harp-carrying angel would do that. But the angel said to the woman... Again, angels always say this. Do not be afraid. Because the Do not be afraid, for I know that you seek Jesus who was crucified. He's not here, for he has risen, as he said. Come and see the place where he lay. The light conquers darkness. I mean, the ultimate picture of that is when there's no more night. In Revelation 21. You've got to remember, it's the already not yet. It, it's already here, but not yet fully consumed. We're going to get to that in a moment. Third point. If, if, if Jesus is the light of the world, and we're trying to define what does that mean, a theology of light, and then we're trying to answer why does it matter, and theology of salvation, now here's the question, does it matter to you? I could ask it another way. Is Jesus your light? I mean, he's the light of the world. It's a great thing. I love the lights and the candles. It's cool. I'm just glad they don't fall and burn down the building. But as long as they stay like that, it's really cool. If we were to turn off the lights, I love candlelight in a darkened room. It's really nice. And he's historically the light of the world. And I know that. Listen, he's historically the light of the world, Al. I am sitting in church. You see me sitting here, right, Al? Yeah, I see you sitting here. Okay, fine. But my question to you is, is he your light? Personally. Does it matter to you? Beyond December 25th. Are you still in darkness? Yep. Here's the sub point here. Do you live in the light of Christ's first coming? Do you live in the light of Christ's first coming? Which is the next slide. There you go. That's my question. You know, does it matter to you? Do you live in the light of Christ's first coming? And I'm speaking to you, unbeliever, and I pray, take this message and give it to them. Copy it off the web and hand it to them. This is my Christmas gift for you. And your gift to me is to listen to it. So listen, if you're an unbeliever, if you're like a, a, a what do they call it, the C&E Christians, you know, Christmas and Easter does it, does it matter to you? Does it matter to you? By the way, if you are, thank you for coming. But, but, there's, but, but listen, but listen, I wouldn't be serving you. Yeah, let me offend that person so they don't even come on Christmas and Easter. But, but, I, wouldn't, but I, I wouldn't be serving you if I didn't say to you, it's got to be more than that. Now let me give you a scripture to bring you some hope. You ready? Jot this one down. 2 Corinthians 4, 4 to 6. 2 Corinthians 4, 4 to 6. I love this scripture. This scripture, perhaps like no other scripture, ties in the thread of light that unifies the the Bible, the Bible's storyline. This scripture ties it all together, man. This scripture brings in creation and recreation. I love it. 2 Corinthians 4, 4 to 6. And here's what it says. In their case, 
the case of unbelievers, the God of this world, that's the prince of darkness, okay, has blinded their minds. Remember, blindness, darkness, not good. Of the unbelievers, to keep them from seeing what? From seeing what? The light of the gospel of the glory of Christ. Jesus is the light of the world, the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ, who is the image of God. For what we proclaim is not ourselves, but Jesus Christ as Lord, with ourselves as your servants for Jesus' sake. Now here's verse 6. Here's the verse that gives us hope. For God, for God, who said, let light shine out of darkness. When did he say that? In creation has shown in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Christ in recreation. What's Christmas about? Yeah, it's about His first coming. And it's historically important. But here's what it's about. The God who said, let there be light out of darkness at creation, will that wants to say to you, and maybe saying to you right now, let there be light out of your darkened heart in recreation in Jesus. That is what Christmas is all about. And I pray that you would become a believer. I pray to you, unbeliever, that, that, that the Bible would be meaningful, that, 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 that you would live in, in the light of Christ's first coming. Now, for the believer, which is the majority of those here, second sub-point, do you live in the hope? Of Christ's second coming. Oh, friends, do you live in the hope of Christ's second coming? Most of us do not think of the second coming of Christ during Christmas. I want you to think about it. Historically, the church thought about it. Biblically, I think we need to think about it. Listen, let's think about his second coming. Most of us say, I live in the light of his first coming. Listen, most of us would say, along with Paul, when he wrote this in Colossians 1.13, he has delivered us from the dominion of darkness. Colossians 1.13 is another good one. Colossians 1.13. He has delivered us from the dominion of darkness and transferred us into the kingdom of his beloved son and whom we have for de- redemption, the forgiveness of sins. We would say, listen, man, we are God's people. He has delivered us from the dominion of darkness. I believe in the historical first coming of Christ and it has made a difference in my life. Great. But do you live in the hope of his second coming? What do you mean by that? Here's what I mean. What God has done in fulfilling his promise to send the light of the world the first time is the foundation for what he will do. Well, I still don't understand what you're talking about, Al. What will he do? Okay? Let's look at Revelation first, and then we're going to end with 1 John 3. Look at Revelation 22, 1 to 5. Revelation 22, 1 to 5. Where am I going here? Do you live in the hope of Christ's second coming? My prayer, my passion, my zeal this morning. I believe the zeal of the Lord of hosts wants to accomplish this in you. That this Christmas, you wouldn't just go through the routine. Yes, you would love Jesus with all your heart. That's great. But that you would then have the first coming and God fulfilling his promise in the first coming catapult you into believing God for fulfilling his promise in the second coming. And, and see, his second coming gives us a hope that, that, well, let's read about it. Revelation 22, verse 1. Then the angel showed me the river of the water of life. Last chapter of the Bible. Bright as crystal, flowing from the throne of God and of the Lamb. And through the middle of the street of the city, also on either side of the river, the tree of life. There's that tree of life. There it is. It reappears in the garden in the new city. We can eat from it this time. With its 12 kinds of fruit yielding its fruit each month. Can you imagine a tree that yields fruit every month? That'd be nice. The leaves of the tree were for the healing of the nations, the ethnos. Yeah, we need healing. 
Verse 3, no longer will there be anything accursed, but the throne of God and of the Lamb will be in it, and His servants will worship Him. They will see, listen, verse 4, here it is. They will see His face, and His name will be on their foreheads. So here's the promise. We're going to see God's face. This hope that we're to live in, this hope of Christ's second coming, what is it? It's to see His face. And look at verse 5. And night will be no more. They will need no light of lamp or sun. He does away with the physical light. Its purpose is done. We've got the light, Jesus. For the Lord God will be their light and they will reign forever and ever. I want you to be encouraged, friends, that God keeps his promises as we celebrate what he's done in Christ and the light of the world. But I also want to encourage you looking forward to what God will do when Christ comes back a second time to establish his eternal kingdom and eternal light and banish his darkness forever. Banishes the darkness of your sin. Banishes the darkness of this world, the tears, the brokenness. I think no no scripture captures this better than this final scripture I'm going to read. If you don't remember anything else from this sermon, write this scripture down and meditate on this scripture. 1 John 3, 2-3. Same guy that wrote the book, the Gospel of John, Jesus is the light of the world. Same guy that was given the vision in Revelation who wrote about this wonderful vision of light and darkness being banished is the same guy that wrote 1 John 3, the letters of John to the church. And listen to what he wrote. And I believe God gave him a revelation. Or I know he did. It's in the Bible. But I believe that he got it. I mean, he understood what it was all about. He understood what it means to live in the hope of Christ's second coming. Not just just live in the light of his first coming. Thank you for that. Yeah, you're saved. But now live in the hope of his second coming. What is that hope? Look at this. 1 John 3, 2. Beloved, we are God's children now. And what we will be has not yet appeared. But we know when he appears, we shall be like him. Because we shall see him as he is. He knows we're going to see him face. Face to face. And look at verse 3. And everyone, and everyone, and everyone, that's you, buddy, that's me, and everyone who thus hopes in him purifies himself as he is pure. I'm going to be pure. I am not defined by my sin. I am not going to look downward and inward all the time. I'm going to look upward and outward. I'm going to see the hope. This is the hope. And it says in this word, listen, it says in this, and everyone who thus hopes in him purifies himself as he is pure. That's the hope. That's my prayer. That you would receive this hope this morning. And that it would be the hope that purifies you and empowers you to walk in the light. You're a son, you're a daughter of light as he is in the light. You've been transferred from the kingdom of darkness to light. And this hope purifies me. One day I'm going to be like him. I'm going to wake up each day. Grace is new. No matter what I did yesterday, that's not my future. This is my future. May it empower us, church. Let us pray. And as we pray, I'd like the ushers to begin to move towards serving us in communion. Please bow your head with me in prayer. Lord God, I thank you for the hope of your second coming. Lord, I I thank you that this Christmas, that there be homes in this church that would be filled with conversation about Jesus is coming back. That there would be conversation about the day there's no more need for light. My neighbor won't need to have Christmas lights. You will be the light. No need for the sun or the moon. Lord God, that there would be talk about the fact that we'll see you face to face. And then 1 John 3, 2 and 3 would be our hope. And everyone who has this hope purifies themselves 
themselves. Lord, I pray for my friends this morning as we're about to partake of the communion table, Lord, that this hope would be what they live in. It wouldn't just be some mental thing. Some nice little wreath and candles they light. But, oh God, it would be your spirit that gives us hope, faith, hope, and love. That's what your kingdom's about. One day we're going to be like you. See you face to face. No shame. The blood of the Lamb covering our sin. Thank you for your first coming, Christ. But oh, in your second coming, we're going to be like you. I just want to pause as we're all praying. I just ask you to pray. Suspend whatever else you're thinking of doing or thinking right now. Believe God wants to speak to you. If you do not live in the light of his first coming, then communion is not for you. Please do not take it. But I believe right now God can turn the lights on in your darkened soul. And you can see for the first time what it means that Jesus is the light of the world. God will show you the darkness of your heart. And what the Bible calls this is repentance. That you would say, I'm sorry, God. I, I, please forgive me and trust Jesus as your light. And I appeal to you to do that right now. It's between you and God. But perhaps God is issuing his call through my voice. And for you, Christian, oh, may you live in the hope of his second coming. If you are sitting there hopeless, entrapped in some sin, looking at defeat, disappointment, discouragement, you're not what you thought you would be by this time. It's impossible to do that. Oh, I invite you, get your eyes off yourself and your sin. They do not define you. And put them on your Savior, who's coming back, who will gently take your head and your chin in his hands and lift it gently and look you right in the eyes. And you will be like him in that moment. For you will see him. And may that hope be yours by the Spirit of God. And that hope purify you. Oh God, that's my prayer for all of us this morning. In Jesus' name, amen.